Thanks for tuning into Symphonic's virtual music industry sessions. My name is John Mizrahi, and I'll be moderating today's panel on the evolving business of sync. Over the past decade, the music industry has seen a convergence of culture and technology that has fostered an unprecedented amount of growth in the number of releases worldwide. The ability to inexpensively record, release, and distribute globally to hundreds of DSPs and to reach audiences through playlisting and social media has given voice to millions of artists whom previous generations wouldn't have been able to record, much less release their music. Last year, Spotify founder Daniel Ek was quoted as saying that they release nearly 40,000 tracks every day. While this meant that there's new pathways for commercial success for independent artists, it also means that there's just way too much content out in the marketplace. Nobody knows this better than music supervisors, who are curators and are constantly inundated with music that according to whoever's sending it to them is exactly what they need for this project. Part of the job is being able to cut through the noise and zero in on the best music that fits the creative and budgetary demands of their productions. This panel will discuss the benefits and downfalls of an endless sea of content, how it's changed the landscape of the music business and how music supervisors navigate it all. I'd like to welcome and introduce our three panelists. Danielle Toporoff is a music supervisor based in New York City. In her decade long career, she's worked in many different areas of the music business as an event producer, artist manager, and sync licensing professional at companies like Wonderless Music and Apco Music and Records. For the past three years, Danielle has been at the Creative Music House Squeaky Clean Studios. As senior producer, she works with ad agencies and brands like Adidas, Google, Square, Lexus, and Facebook. Her role covers a wide range of music supervision services, including creative licensing, bespoke composition, artist partnerships, and sonic branding. Christine Green Rowe is a music supervisor in Los Angeles, who for the past five years has worked at Deep Cut Music alongside founder Maggie Phillips on many hit television shows, including Fargo, The Handmaid's Tale, Counterpart, Snowfall, Homecoming, and The Act, as well as films like Miseducation of Cameron Post, Alex Strangelove, and Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Christine recently decided to break out on her own and start her own independent music supervision venture, 82 Tunes. Andrew Brady is also a music supervisor at Deep Cut Music. As part of the team working alongside Maggie and Christine, he's worked on the music for numerous critically acclaimed shows, including Shrill, Fargo, Mr. Robot, The Handmaid's Tale, and many more. Andrew recently co-supervised Netflix's Emmy-winning Trinkets, creating a rich indie rock soundscape that won the hearts of teens worldwide. My name is John Mizrahi, and I head up Symphonic Distribution's in-house sync licensing agency, Bodega Sync representing a diverse curated roster of independent artists, labels, and producers for easy, clear licensing in all forms of media. Thank you all for being here and for participating and welcome. So question one, what are some of the resources that you rely on for music discovery, both personal and professional? And do they overlap at all or do you separate your personal musical taste from your work? Danielle, we'll start with you. Okay, <laughs> hi. Um, well, you know, in advertising, I'll say things move very, very quickly. Um, so most of the time when we start on a project, we need to be sending music options within 24 hours, um, if not shorter. The majority of the music that I get, because it is so project and budget specific, um, tends to be from sync reps at labels and publishers that I know, other 
sync licensing houses um, that we reach out to to assist in that kind of stuff. Um, but it's one of those things where you're just getting inundated with piles and piles of music and listening to the first 30 seconds and then moving on. So I would say that, you know, for the most part, if I hear something that's really great, it'll kind of move into my personal listening folder. Um, but it, things move so quickly and you have like such a specific project in mind that it's usually very project specific. Um, every now and then a project will come across our plate where maybe they're looking for a really cool artist to partner with, in which case I'll use more of my personal tastes. If there's been somebody that I've been following for a while who I think is really cool and would be a really good fit. Um, if they're looking for something that doesn't have too much of a specific tailoring that needs to fit the spot, but just something really cool and new and cutting edge, um, then I'll kind of pull from my own resources, which come you know, a lot of times from friends or from browsing Spotify or, you know, you hear something on a TV show that I'm sure one of these two <laughs> have worked on and think it's really cool and it'll move into my personal folder. Um, but I kind of try and keep those two a little bit separate. Um, so that's, I hope that answers the question. Christine? Um, I would echo a lot of what you just said when it when it comes to work and the limited time we have like when we have a specific spot we're listening for um it really defines where we're looking and what we can look at you know the budget is huge and each project i mean the showrunner or filmmaker creates a world and we have to exist in that world and we we bring new things to the table that they haven't heard but like it has to complement um, the story and the vibe that, that they've created. So we're kind of living in that. Um, I would say with brand new music, like new albums, new music, I look to Andrew and I look to our sync reps at indie labels, like Domino, for example, you know, like they're on, you know, they know all the great new stuff. So we'll have conversations with them um, and others. I mean, there's many, but, uh, with my own personal listening and personal music, um, because we have to listen so much for work, I usually look at my own listening as like a break. And I'm a very nostalgic listener, so I just listen to my old favorites, um, a lot of 90s, a lot of 80s. Um, I'll just throw something on that I don't have to think about. Like I know it, I'm not, it's not gonna apply to a project I'm working on right now, so I can just enjoy it as opposed to listening and be like, oh, this would work here, this would work here. Yeah. So yeah, it's a mix. Um, and then older music, we have a lot of projects that are period um, catalog stuff. When it comes to that, I just go inward, like I do a deep dive. Um, I don't ask for suggestions, I, I just like, listen to a bunch of old stuff and pick out my favorites. That's so yeah. Andrew, <laughs> Andrew, it sounds like you, um, you feed a lot of music to, to Christine and the team. So wh where do you source your music? What are some of your go-tos? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think Danielle and Christine really covered a lot of ground there. Um, I mean, for me, contemporary music is really where my head is at most of the time um, on a personal level. And 
um, I think Maggie and Christine have sort of like um, definitely realized that. And, um, and so on our contemporary leaning projects, um, it's really fun to just kind of go wild. And a lot of the music that ends up in those shows is just stuff that I've been listening to myself, um, which is a blast. I mean, throughout the year, I'm just sort of trying to keep track of like new Spotify releases, um, back when we were allowed to go um, to venues, you know, it was like a lot of it was live music. You know, I always like to catch the openers. I always like to try and see bands that I haven't seen yet. Music festivals, awesome for that. Um, and just like throughout the year, kind of every, I like, you know, every Friday throughout the week, even, you know, I'm checking, you know, the obvious, the obvious sources like Pitchfork, but you're also just kind of like any new music I can find. I'm, I'm really, um, trying to always keep my ears open for. Um, and so it's like just throughout the year, I have sort of playlists going for like Shrill and, and Handmaid's Tale and, um, and we have this new show Generation that's like all contemporary music. And so it's helpful once you kind of establish the sound of a show to kind of just be thinking in those modes. And when I hear a song that like screams Shrill, I, you know, just pop it on the playlist. And then once we get started, it's great to kind of have, um, an arsenal of songs ready to go. Um, and then on top of that, like, like Christine was saying with budget, like so much of that, it comes to just like, we have so much that we're working with. We go out to our contacts that we trust and, and know have great stuff and, um, and just sort of, we're always kind of collecting um, kind of budget bins of, of cool upcoming new stuff. And, and that's where a lot of stuff that it's really, I love that side of it because it's often artists that wouldn't necessarily like come into my world otherwise that aren't necessarily like, um, like, bigger indie names that are going to be popping up on like blogs and stuff it's it's smaller artists that are just sort of like um you can have you know a big difference like getting a placement in a show like that so there's so many different sources and um it's almost overwhelming how much music is thrown at us all the time but um it's also like a real treat to just have it be part of our jobs to get to just like dig through it all and and you know pull some gems out and and get to like share them with more people. I think that's, it's a real, it's a real blast. Can you, can you each give us like a quantitative amount of like how much music, cause I, I hear this from supervisors all the time like they were inundated with music. What is it like, how many songs are you listening to in an average day? Or any of, like not the whole thing, but I'm sure like you can't listen to it, you know? I mean, I would say for a, any particular project and, you know, it, it depends if, if it's a very specific ask, maybe, you know, I won't do quite as much outreach because I know who to target, who's going to have the kind of things that I need. Um, it helps if, you know, and you probably have this more in advertising, but if there's um, something really lyric specific, you know, that eliminates a lot of the tracks that I have to listen to. But if it's a wide open search, I mean, I'd say... I'd try to get through 500 plus songs <laughs> in a 24 hour period. So yeah, it's a lot. Andrew, you got that beat? Um, no, I mean, I think that's, that's a pretty, I mean, yeah, it, like you said, like it kind of depends how specific or what exactly you're looking for. If like, for example, right now we're listening for shrill bins. And so we have like, folders and folders and folders and folders of stuff that's been sent to us like over the last few weeks and we're just sort of sorting through it and um on you know and with that we're we're just kind of you know you can't listen to the whole song because there's so many of them and it's 
part of it is just like getting that, like how, you listen to a song as long as it takes to really get the feel and the mood and like, um, and so sometimes it's, I would say like, we're not listening, like on TV, there are days when I'm so focused on just clearance stuff that I'm not listening a ton. Um, but there are other days when I listen to probably like 300 songs, just like click, 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 you know, <laughs> like skip ahead, skip ahead. Okay, okay, like delete. Um, but yeah, it, it all just depends on the parameters of what we're looking for, how targeted we're going. Um, and yeah, it's it's quite a bit. It's a, it's a very strange and like <laughs> frenetic way of like sort of, you know, it's not, I wouldn't call it like a pleasurable listening experience. It's, it's, very, it's so targeted and razor focused that, um, it's yeah it, it it feels like work but it it is it is fun to get to just sort of like skim through a bunch of vibes and like it's an also from my perspective as a rep you know we're servicing to brief so you reach out to reps and labels and publishers and they send you their best ideas so you basically have these folders and folders and folders of everybody's best idea and you know if we're doing our job right all those songs could work and you have to just decide which ones are a little bit better than the other one it's it's got to be really difficult to differentiate between such granularity of well this one works but this one, you know so it's interesting well, different phases like the phase we're in right now with shrill since we just started for the like we do open listening um and send like a vibe playlist and then we're doing bins like andrew said where we're reaching out to our trusted contacts and they're giving us all their best stuff and so that first phase, it's just, it's getting a feel for the song if the general vibe, you know, in our mind fits into the show. And then as we get cuts of the episode, then we're getting way more specific, you know, then we're like, okay, we need this budget, like this kind of vocal, this kind of lyric or no lyrics or whatever. And then we hone it, hone it in. So it's, it goes through different phases of narrowing down. And who are you sending music to? So you're, you're basically collecting and filtering this music and then you're passing it along to who? So initially it's the, it's to the, the showrunner and producers, you know, the, the people uh, up front and, and very involved in the, in the creative, like the, you know, the creator, the showrunner, the producers. Um, and then as we're getting further into the season, um, sometimes we'll throw the editor some stuff and they'll cut them in. Then we, we watched them, you know, we, we would have spotting sessions, but now the pandemic, we're not going to be in the same room, but, um, you know, we give our best stuff to the editor. They throw them in cause it changes once you watch it to picture. And then, uh, we're narrowing that down with, again, the showrunner, the producer, um, the creatives on the show. So for deep cut specifically, just because, you know, a lot of music supervisors are like independent single music supervisors, but you, you know, you work for a company with like a, with a team. Does it go, I mean, if you're all working on something, does it go like, is Andrew like frontline and it goes to Christine and it goes up to Maggie and it goes like, do, do you filter through everybody or you're all just like pitching ideas? It depends. And yeah, it varies. I mean, sometimes it's, um, it just depends on like how big the spot is. You know, if it's like a background spot, sometimes it's, you know, we as a team kind of like divide and conquer and figure out like, oh, like, you know, we can, I can take this one or, um, and usually it's going through at least, you know, two people are listening to it for the most part and kind of getting a read on it. And on the bigger spots, you know, like, um, you know, Maggie is like really sort of zeroing in on on what the showrunner or what the creative is. And, and then on the small, you know, like on like a background spot or on like a library spot, you know, we can sort of be a little bit less like, you know, we, it's easier to sort of zero in on a background spot's mood than like 
a big featured spot where it has to hit all these specific beats. So it's sort of case by case. Danielle, what about in advertising? I mean, the company you work for is, is pretty sizable, lots of creative people, lots of opinions. And then there's also the agency and then the people producing it and editing it and the client and the client's son who has an opinion. And I'm sure there's lots and lots and lots of people who have an opinion as to what the music kind of gets through. So, you know, in your role specifically, um, how does that sort of pan out? How do you navigate, like, you know, obviously you're working on something, you listen to 500 songs, you find, what, 10 of them that kind of fit? Say 20, you know, we'll, we'll start with 20. We'll send that off to, it depends, you know, if we're working with an agency or if we're working um, directly with a brand. So um, if we are working with the agency, it's going to go through the agency creatives first. They're going to narrow it down, probably down to two, you know, send those two to client. The client might not like them. And then we go completely back to the drawing board. So, um, you know, I don't actually get to see all the, the layers that it has to go through before it gets back to me. Um, but there are, we're really the front lines and then there are tons of people ahead of us who have their own opinions. Um, often ones we don't agree with, but <laughs> we just kind of have to go back and try and make it work for them. So in, in, um, in TV land, they were saying sort of the showrunner producer like there's sort of a, a team of like senior creatives, I guess, who are really the final decision makers that you're sort of pitching up to. In your case, you're pitching up to who the agency, the client? The client is ultimately always the final decision. Yeah, um, whoever the client is, you know, the agency has to impress them. So, you know, we could go through multiple rounds with the agency creatives coming back with various notes or wanting new things or wanting other ideas. And then they could pitch their final idea to the client and the client could hate it, <laughs> you know, and then we got to go back to the beginning. So um, it can be quite frustrating at times, um, but the client always has final say. And is the client at the end of the process, is the client a creative person typically or a marketing person or like an oil tycoon in a hat? Like what, like I'm, I'm trying to imagine who that final decision maker is. I always hear, you know, when I go through this process of advertising, like the client, the client, the client, but I don't really know, I don't have any image of who that client is. The client is usually uh, not necessarily a creative, could be an executive at the brand, who's ever assigned to the project. Um, ultimately, you know, the, the client is not just assessing the music, they're assessing the entire spot that's being created. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, the director's vision, it's the editing, it's the various cuts that we're doing. So, you know, when we get feedback via the agency from the client, it's usually incorporating a bunch of things and there could be an issue with the music or it might be that the edit isn't right. So now they wanna scratch the entire idea and start anew. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a whole lot of control in that area. But um, you kind of just have to roll with the punches and ultimately- you, you work directly with editors to ever try to like make sure that if you have an idea that you really want to land, that the editor is doing a good job of making sure it looks as, you know, I, I think in some, in some cases, editors have like an inordinate, inordinate amount of power um, in terms of whether or not uh, they think something is good. And if they really love it and want to make it work, they can make it look really good. Um, I mean, do you work directly with editors at all or? 
We, we do. I, I mean, we, we have a lot of contacts at very, various edit houses and um, a lot of whom we just kind of give our, you know, with, we do music supervision. We also do original composition and we have our own internal library. So we'll kind of give them access to our internal library and say, feel free to put whatever you want on this initial cut because there is a very real thing in advertising called demo love. And um, the song that goes on the initial edit very often is the song that ends up being on the final spot. So even if it's just a temporary reference, um, a lot of times the client will just fall in love with that and continue to ask for it until you cave and license it. That's <laughs> nice. Um, okay, so second question. Um, do you feel like the massive amount of content being released daily into the marketplace has a positive or negative impact on the sync business and on music culture overall? So basically, good thing or bad thing to have this much music as opposed to two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago? I mean, it really very much, I've seen just a massive increase. And it's really kind of hard to keep up. Um, it's hard to keep up even in some cases with music that we rep. I mean, there's like a lot a lot of music out there. So how does that impact what you do day to day? I think more choices, the better. I mean, if you have a lot to sift through, then maybe there's more of a chance you're gonna get some gems as opposed to feeling limited or feeling like, okay, I keep listening to these five albums for every project, you know, you don't, you're not stuck in a, in a rut. Um, I guess there's a sense of that there's always something else to discover? I mean, at least on our end. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's sort of a complicated thing. I mean, as like a supervisor, yeah, having more options is awesome. Um, it's nice to sort of like, I know like when I'm on Spotify and I'm digging for something and I can always like go to that like artist similar tab and sort of like find another like, you know, 15 artists that are in a, you know, a similar world and, and that can be like a lifesaver sometimes. Um, but I imagine as like an artist, um, it's, that makes it really hard to stand out. Um, I think it's probably really easy to sort of, um, slide between the cracks and not kind of break out because you have a sound, you know, there are, you know, 18 other artists on that similar artist page that sound similar to you and finding a way to kind of break through that can be really challenging. Um, but overall, I think it's a good thing and, um, I'd rather have too much music than not enough. And I'm sure um, a lot of people feel the same way. And I mean, super talented people are always gonna rise, I think, you know. Right, yeah. In the sync space also, uh, sounding like an artist that gets tons of syncs is probably not the worst thing in the world, especially if um, your client loves this band and can't afford this band. And you're like, oh, here's this other band that sounds just like them. It's not always a bad thing. Might not be the best in terms of you know, reaching a wide audience and being, you know, critically acclaimed as like an original whatever, but, um, you know, certainly bands that have a vibe that is, you know, we, we're always looking for that kind of thing for us just because we're always trying to fit as many briefs as possible. So, you know, we kind of gravitate not towards necessarily like, this is the most original music I've ever heard in the world. It's usually like, can we pitch this like every single day? Yeah, that kind of goes back to my point about how demo love is real. You know, we very often have a client who just loves a song that's too expensive for them. And then we have to do something that's going to make them happy um, and replace it. So, you know, that's, that's definitely something we need a lot of in our industry. 
So for your process, I mean, for, for all of you, I mean, music supervisors send briefs out to, you know, people that have music that they, you know, think may fit. I mean, does that, you know, in, in your case, Danielle, it might be a situation where there's demo love and you're trying to replace it. Your brief is basically pre-written for you, um, describing the music that you already have that you can't afford or can't clear. Um, but in terms of um, trying to articulate it, um, in terms of a brief, um, you know, what, what's what's the, the process there? I mean, as you said, like you're probably starting with something, but if you're not starting with something, how do you sort of zone in on what, um, what makes sense? And how do you even make a decision as to whether or not you want to kind of try to make a pass yourself or to reach out to people? Because I'm sure if you reach out to people, you're kind of signing yourself up to listening to 500 songs or whatever it is. I would say budget. If we, if we have to, if we absolutely cannot spend more than X, we, ha we have to reach out because we have to know that all this music that we're going through and sifting through will be that price. But if it's, if it's a big spot like end titles, I mean, there's always a budget, but like if it's a bigger spot, we're open listening, like our, just listening to stuff that we like and we think will fit. But we, ha we do need to rely on our trusted pitching people when it's a, a very tight, tight budget. And are you guys typically constrained by that? I know in advertising, you're given a budget, but like if they fall in love with something like magically, you know, like Facebook has more money or some, you know, there's just kind of always this thing where like they can find the money if they want it. I mean, on these productions, like for a TV show, is it, are you really completely, you know, constrained by it? Or is there a situation where, you know, you can sort of step outside it or do you have to sort of say, you know, we need this one song and like we're only gonna be able to pay everybody else 40 bucks or whatever it is. It's different every episode in every spot. Um, it's, you know, for, for background, um, we're pretty tight in those, in those budgets um, because we know, okay, we can have two to three. I mean, depending on the show, it's, it's different for every show, but if we know we can have one to three big songs, you know, then the rest have to fit in those, in those budgets. Um, and then the finding more money thing, it, it's different every show and, and network and studio, you know, like there are certain studios that, I mean, if the showrunner really wants to make a case for it, or I don't know, they just really fall in love with something, then maybe they'll say, you know, maybe we'll just decide, okay, we can make this work by plugging this in here, but then maybe another episode will be a little lighter in music or, you know, the, uh like visual effects and music are always the budgets that people pull from so if they'll be like oh we have some extra in visual effects or we have some extra in music and we'll swap it around but i think this is something yeah. that people probably don't know as much about what music supervisors do i think people think that music supervisors just like pick songs they like and put them into tv shows or commercials or whatever and no. <laughs> there really is a lot of like really uh complicated budgeting and it you know it's part of why it requires you to have contacts with you know, all different levels of music that is um, pre-cleared pre at certain rates so that you can sort of slot things in and say, what's the best music I could get for $1,000 or whatever it is. And, um, you know, that's, those types of resources are things that you go to all the time. So that's part of the reason why I think artists also get frustrated that there's sort of this gatekeeper kind of process where getting directly to music supervisors, it's not necessarily about um, the creative aspect of it, but it's also a matter of like, do I know that I could go to you and use your music and you're going to clear it for this fee and that it's all pre-cleared or that you understand anything about how licensing works. So 
you know, that's I would kind say of, it's a mix of creative and budget, though. It still is. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Like, you know, give us a folder of what fits in that budget, but then we're going to go through at least um, deep cut. We, you know, we go through every single song and only pluck out uh, what, what we think's the best creative. Um, we don't just get a submission and then send it to the show. Right. I, I meant that like the budget part is the part that people don't understand that that's an aspect of, of how you make these decisions. Oh, for sure. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we could have like a blank check and do whatever we want, like you would see some wildly different television. But, um, and I think that some creatives even have trouble sort of wrapping their head around that of like, oh, I want every song in my show to be recognizable. And they don't real, you know, and, you know, there are sometimes we'll, we'll have a background spot and they'll want like a big song in it. And you're like, you sure you want to spend, you know, this much money when we can barely hear this? Um, so a lot of our job is just managing expectations and, we, and being like, look, like, you can't spend that money here. If you do that, then you can't have your big end title spot in the next episode. Or so a lot of it is just sort of, you know, we're always thinking big picture budget um, and deciding like where we can, you know, kind of what spots are important where we can kind of have an open canvas and, and, and have fun with open listening and which spots we can sort of realize are, you know, this is background, it's over dialogue, we can be able, you know, we don't need to be as, you know, precious and cherry pick this one. Like we can sort of, um, not that we're not, you know, curating those options, but that we're um, recognizing that, you know, we need to rely more and be really specific and targeted with what we can spend. I think without the role of a music supervisor, you would have a whole bunch of, and same in, in advertising and in, in um, TV and film, you'd probably have lots of people um, just throwing ideas around with no concept as to whether or not they, they will work for one reason or another. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people also don't understand clearance, you know, don't understand like an artist might not want to be in, in Adidas ad or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, that stuff is all behind the scenes stuff that you guys have to parse out. It's, it's a tough job. Um, so that, oh. go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say one other thing that, you know, I've only really started to pay so much attention to after starting working in advertising is how important um, lyrical content is. And based on the edit, you know, um, there's always VO. So a track could be perfect sonically, it could be perfect lyrically, but there's this one bit that competes with the VO and we can't get an instrumental and that's why it's scrapped. So, you know, there are just a lot of other aspects that you have to think about aside from the perfect vibe of the song. Right. Um, okay, so aside from uh, the music that you've selected working up to picture, what are some other aspects about a particular artist that are either attractive or valuable to you when you're making a licensing decision? I know this process is gonna be, again, it's gonna be different in advertising because there's a lot more considerations in terms of a client and, you know, their sort of image as a brand. Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, when it comes to advertising, the first thing is, does the artist want to do it? <laughs> you know, that's really important in order for us to, to get everyone on board. A lot of times, uh, though, sometimes a lot of times a brand will want to kind of put that in their press release and kind of hype it up as this artist who's on the spot. A lot of times they don't care who's on the spot. So it really, it kind of depends on, on who the brand is and, and what they're trying to accomplish. I would say, you know, 
a lot of it is also based on budget. If it is a really low budget, but they want to have some kind of cool uh, indie artists associated with it. It's a matter of um, who we can get. We'll send them a one sheet. They'll take a listen to a couple of other things. They'll want to make sure, you know, none of their other big sing singles have, you know, any kind of um, lyrics or imagery that might not be in line with the brand's messaging. Um, so those are all are things. Are they researching the artists themselves? Are they like reading their Twitter? Like, do they, they really... We'll, we'll usually send a one sheet through, um, which they'll ask for, which we'll get from the label. Um, so just having like a little bio, have some of all their social network accounts that they can check those out, have a link to a couple of their videos and um, just to give them a overall vibe of who the artist is. Yeah, um, on the TV side, um, I would say it doesn't typically come into effect too much. Um, most of the time we're kind of zoned in just sort of best song for the spot. Um, but also um, just on various shows, we're kind of, we, we are paying attention to sort of like if an artist is making big controversial statements that sort of politically don't align with what the show is sort of about, um, that does come into play and it has come into, you know, we've, we've looked at songs and sort of been like, eh, we don't really want to associate this artist with this show for X or Y reason. And, um, and then there are other times where it's like, oh, this artist, you know, on Trinkets, for example, um, had like, you know, a big chunk of the characters are LGBT. So that was a big focus of like, oh, we can find cool queer artists that sort of um, are going to enrich this world and make it feel authentic to the viewers. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a mix on TV of like, we're paying attention. It's not everything, um, but it, it is important. We're, making, we're paying more attention now. Um, Definitely. But like, na like now with our newer shows, we are like, okay, we want to represent LGBTQ. We want to represent women. You know, we, we, we are now consciously wanting to, to represent um, many people as opposed to, you know, just, yeah, one look, one sound. Is that being driven by music supervision or is that being driven by it sort of being written that way and the sort of creatives being like, we want this to have like a rich identity that relates to whatever, I mean, meaning. It's a conversation. It's, it, you know, it's, um, it's on the best shows, it's something that's important to them and important to us. And we talk about how it's important to all of us. And so we go and do that together. Those are the best projects like Shrill um, is such a great show to work on. Um, the creative's awesome and, and the people we work with are amazing and, and just very socially conscious, awesome, smart women. <laughs> um, in terms of an artist, like stature, profile, things like that, I mean, like if you're working on something, like you said, that has a brief with a specific budget, you're being pitched music that fits X, Y, and Z, and you kind of know where it slots in. But if you're kind of looking at an artist, let's say for, an, you know, for a big ad campaign and you haven't really been in contact with them, but you're kind of interested in it, you know, do you take in consideration any sort of metrics, social media following, that type of thing to like get an assessment is like, I don't know if this artist is big enough or too big or whatever it is. Like, does that matter to you or not really? I mean, we do. Um, a lot of it also depends on how important it is to the client. So um, that really dictates how 
impressive they have to be on social media or how popular they have to be. Some clients, you know, want a name that people can Google, that they can find, but it's not so important that they have any sort of social media following. They just want to be able to throw it in a press release. Some clients want it to be, you know, an artist that has this and this and this metrics. But two- It goes both ways also. Sometimes people want to break like the next cool artist. So like if you're too well known or everybody kind of knows you already, like maybe they're not, maybe they're too exposed or whatever it is. I know it adds, you know, I get asked the question, you know, has this person's music been synced before? And like, if you answer yes, that's a bad thing. <laughs> like they want to be the first to do it. Yeah, there is this kind of idea in the advertising world that they're going to, you know, break the next big artist when, of course, nobody is even considered until they've had some kind of a career in advance. Right. Um, but they like to think that, and sometimes if they've been synced before, uh, that will disqualify them. Is that uh, true in film as well, or is it kind of different? It's different. I mean, we definitely are like paying attention to like we use this website TuneFind to look up sort of like what songs by certain artists have been used before in TV. And if there's like, it's not like necessarily, a, you know, disqualified a song, but if, if say a song is in like a, a show with a comparable audience, um, that's something we definitely definitely take into account. Like we, we try to avoid kind of- Or try to pay attention to that. Yeah, it's not everything, but it's something. And, and especially on like a big important, like say it's like the first big spot and titles of a season, like we definitely don't want to overlap um, with another show that has this, you know, it's, it's just, you want it to feel fresh and it's, um, and obviously, you know, people spots. gotta say again. In the featured spots. Exactly, yeah. In the featured spots, I think it's it's most important. Um, and it's something, yeah, you know, obviously every show you want it, you want, that song moment to stand out and not have them thinking about, you know, three other song moments that someone else used the exact same song. So it's, yeah, it's, you're, we're paying attention for sure. Well, Danielle, you, then, kind of, oh, sorry. You, you kind of intimated that like, nobody's, if you don't have a career, like your, your music's not likely to go in ads. I think in, in TV, it's maybe a little more open. Like, would you license, if you heard a song from an artist and it really worked for you creatively, but they just have, nothing going on <laughs> or like it's a really old obscure record or whatever like like is that a, is that cool or is that just like like do you think about how you know the you know the sh I think tv shows also um are are like Danielle said you know it's driving music discovery that you know she finds new music like is there pressure to be like anything that we put in has to be something that's like real and established and has a certain or does it not really matter as long as the music works it's Often that it's pretty cool if you come across something that d doesn't have a follow, someone doesn't have a following yet or hasn't been synced. You're like, yes, I found this awesome song or artist, and we're gonna we're gonna put it in here. Um, but it, again, it depends on the project because sometimes a showrunner suggests a song to us, and we say, okay, great. Just so you know, it's been in this, 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 and this. You know, it's been used in a lot of recent movies, and they don't care. They're like, well, this is my project. Uh, I don't care that they used it. And then other other showrunners or directors, uh, they go, oh, thanks for pointing that out. Um, right. Let's let's keep looking because you're right. That's a recent use, and let's move on. So it de it depends on the on the project if they if they really love the undiscovered gems or if they're like, no, I just want you know, I want big songs. I want accessible songs. I want songs that 
people already know. So it, ch it changes. But personally, I would say everyone at Deep Cut loves to discover something that doesn't have a big presence yet. And yeah, I so that, I, I'm oh. sorry, you go. <laughs> No, go ahead. It hasn't been great so far, by the way. There hasn't been a lot of overtalk. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I was just going to say that I think, um, just adding to Christine's point, that, like, uh, sometimes, yeah, the show wants, like, a big name, too. Sometimes it's like, oh, this is a big, important spot. We want a really, you know, flashy artist to sort of, like, start the season out strong or something. Um, and other times, like, it's kind of on us over, like, oh, we found this cool song, and we're just sort of, like, sneaking them into a background spot. And the showrunner will be like, oh, who's this band? I've never heard of them before. And we're like, oh, they're new or they're, you know, unsigned small band. And and um, a lot of times they're the show's excited about that. They're like, oh, cool. We're, um, they, I think they sort of acknowledge, I think everyone in TV, TV music sort of is excited about that. Like everyone has that, you know, has that song or album that they never would have discovered if they hadn't seen it on TV. So I think there is that energy of like, let's bring something new here. Um, that hasn't been played out already a million times. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was I was just gonna say, uh, based on Christine's earlier comment, I think advertising has also kind of seen a shift, especially just due to the cultural climate of wanting um, more diversity and more inclusion. Uh, so that's really opened up some areas for new artists to kind of peek in um, in communities where traditionally they haven't had so much access to advertising, which is really great to see. I have to admit, I, I, I may have just not been paying that much attention, but in recent years, I have, I've kind of noticed that commercials have gotten much better and more interesting. They're more film-like, they use better music. And I think that people pay attention to them. You know, there are certain brands that um, are known for their music curation. And I just, I don't know that that was a thing ever. It used to just be like, you know, put a piece of generic music in the background of a car riding around a mountain or whatever. <laughs> so, I mean, it seems like a pretty interesting and fun time to, you know, to be involved in, in this where, you know, they're bringing in real directors and, you know, they're trying to sort of make art as advertising. I mean, is that something that, um, I mean, I, I feel like that's something that you guys do a lot. Like, I don't, I don't know a ton about, um, you know, outside of my personal interactions with you, which are more on like the indie music level. You know, I know that you are involved in that kind of stuff, especially on the bespoke side of it and brand partnerships, things like that. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I, I think you're definitely right. I mean, we, we get some really amazing projects where we get to kind of be in on the ground floor, talking with the director, crafting music specifically for a spot that hasn't been even created yet. So we can kind of um, create this amazing piece of music that is then shot to and everything sings perfectly. Um, so, you know, that is, I wouldn't say it's the majority of the projects that we work on, but we really, really do love working on projects like that where we kind of get to have a lot more say in the music. I think more often music is an afterthought, but the award-winning projects that we have kind of always start out that way. Um, it's, it's the best case scenario for everyone. Um, you know, the flip side of that too is <laughs> we've had these really amazing cinematic, beautiful commercials that we've done. And we've also been seeing a big influx of like TikTok projects. So, you know, there's been a lot <laughs> of recent requests just 
creating music specifically for the TikTok market, um, which I have my own opinions about, but um, is definitely uh, an area that please share it. Really <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna get you in trouble. Um, I get it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting. TikTok is interesting. I I'm not a TikTok user. I obviously know what it is. I've seen it. But it's really interesting in terms of like, you know, the way that it impacts, like it's it's a format, right? It's kind of like Twitter having a limited amount of characters and how you have to change how you communicate based on that limitation. So, um, I mean, that's that's super new in terms of, you know, people doing these ad campaigns for TikTok. I, I would imagine part of it is also like, you can do it less expensively because it's a type of media that, you know, it's not like a worldwide TV campaign kind of thing, but, um, I don't know. I feel like it maybe could be kind of an interesting creative challenge to be able to do like a TikTok. It is. It usually it usually starts out as a, a longer form piece. So we're creating like a 30 or a 60 that is then going to be submitted to TikTok and it'll have its cut downs. But I think the goal is always to have it kind of take off on its own and be a viral thing and have people create dances to it. We just have to create the long form for whether it's broadcast, which is pretty rare nowadays, honestly, we're seeing more and more online only spots. Um, another great opportunity for indie artists because they are smaller budgets. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's an, it's a very interesting platform. Um, and it's, it's interesting to write for, you know, I'm, I'm not a teenager, so. <laughs> I guess I get briefs asking for like TikTok style music. I'm like, I don't really know what that is. <laughs> I can send you a whole list of it. Uh, I've got so many references. Okay, a mix now, cause like then that big, uh, the uh, Fleetwood Mac song was, that was a TikTok video, right? Okay, <laughs> so I'm like now it's now we're into huge artists on TikTok. Yeah, that's a whole other panel. Um, all right, so last question for you guys: How do you handle direct outreach from artists who are looking to have you listen to their music? Um, I would imagine Danielle, you're like a little more behind the scenes, so maybe you're not as like exposed. But you know, when you're when you're working, um, you know, on film and TV projects, you know, if you're credited, your name is on the thing and it's on IMDb and like, they can look up your company, they, they can track you down pretty easily, find you on LinkedIn or whatever. I, I think in advertising, it's a little more obfuscated, so, but I would imagine that people still kind of come after you and send you ideas or whatever. How do you, how do you handle that? Um, you know, it's, we get so many submissions um, every day um, on like all platforms and I know just like me as like, I've become semi more notoriable as like a music supervisor. Like I'm getting hit up, hit up on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, sort of like any sort of like public facing platform you have, like you're gonna get hit up on. And I mean, to be honest, like I would say nine times out of 10, I just can't pay attention to it because there's so much going on and we're so busy with work all the time that it's just sort of like, um, impossible to keep up with but say again how do you sleep at night no i'm kidding um <laughs> no i i can only imagine that's the answer <laughs> but i but i will say like the people that break through that i actually do pay attention to are the ones that i can tell that they've taken the time to like actually 
watch some of our shows or they're like, hey, like I loved how you used music on Shrill. Like I wrote the song that I think is similar. Like it's the people that take a little bit of extra time to personalize it um, that I feel like if, hey, if they took a little time to write this email, did a little research that, you know, I'll spend five minutes listening to their song. And even if it's not a fit, um, I think like just as like a human to human sort of like, just like acknowledging that, you know, they took the time. I think it's, I try to like, at least respond to those as best I can. Um, but it's hard, it's hard when we get so, so many of them. And many of them are, are frankly unusable for our projects and they're not bad songs, but it's just like, and a lot of people want feedback and you're just like, it's hard. That's the thing is give it, you can't really get feedback to everyone. That's, right. the, that's the hardest part. The several follow-ups are, are, are hard. Mm. Yeah, I believe we that. We called it on our end by doing like an application pipeline where we're actually getting lots of information aside from just the music um, and helps us sort of filter, filter through. People still email me all the time and I'm not like a curator. I'm not public facing at all. And I, I get lots of music from people. So I can only imagine that it's many, 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 many multiples. And like, you don't have that sort of first line of defense of being like, put in a, put in a forum kind of thing. Danielle? Yeah, I would say um, it's not that often that I get hit up by, by artists. Um, on the odd occasion that I do, to be completely honest with you, I, I usually don't pay attention to them. Um, but I do frequently get hit up by composers, um, which is another really great revenue source for artists who can do it. Um, and I always look through those if they have a commercial reel of things that they've worked on before, or even just kind of like a SoundCloud link to some compositions that they've written. Um, we we do have in-house composers at Squeaky Clean, but we often use freelancers, um, especially people who are really good in a certain area or genre um, that maybe we're lacking in or we need more of. So um, yeah, I, I love hearing from, from new composers. And there are also a lot of really great resources, especially now considering, you know, we, we are trying to diversify the industry and, um, have more inclusion there. There are resources like Free the Bid, which I think is now Free the Work, um, that kind of just lists various composers, directors, musicians, all these people who are behind the scenes and making a commercial um, who maybe haven't had the opportunity to be used before because I have found in our industry, and you know, I'm I do this too, unfortunately. You work with a couple of people and you know they're good and you know they're gonna get you what you want. So you don't try um, as many new people and, and we're trying to do more of that. So- um, And it's word of mouth in those networks also, which also like continues to repeat the same. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll suggest somebody, but if we have creative directors who are on the project and they want to work with specific people, trying to convince them to work with new people, especially if we're writing on a deadline, um, can be difficult. But um, what we've been trying to do now is if, you know, the second somebody reaches out to us or if we hear of a new composer, we kind of start the investigation get them into our system so that, you know, when we're looking through 
they're all set up and we know what their strengths are and um, we can try out new people and new things. You know, we also have a list of, aside from composers, just freelance talent. So it's vocalists or musicians um, who we can call on for specific things. A lot of times, um, you know, especially when it comes to covers and re-records, which are really um, prominent in the advertising world, they want maybe uh, an old composition that they're getting the publishing on, but they want a cool new indie artist to record it. So, you know, we'll kind of go through our freelance roster and see who would be available to do that and maybe make something really cool. How do you get on that list? How do you get on our freelancer list? Yeah, or not, not just yours, but I mean, in general, like what's a good way sort of, because I think on the advertising side of it, obviously advertise, advertising pays really well um, and you know it's attractive to musicians and I think that it's probably the most complicated um, media to sort of get seen by like you said like people are not sending you direct music I think it's because again like you work for a company that people might not even understand what it does whereas like a music supervisor is like oh that's the person that makes, makes the music on whatever so like being you are also a music supervisor but like I think it's it's a little bit less sort of known that like companies like squeaky clean exist even though the work that you're producing is obviously everybody knows your work. So, I mean, as I said, also it's sort of segmented where it's like you have an agency, you have um, a music house, you have the production people, producers, editors, clients. I mean, there's any number of access points, but it seems like all of them, like it's hard to know sort of where to shoot. So let's say for argument's sake, I was an artist um, who made um, a song that sounds exactly like the type of music that a brand uses. Like, how would you, how would you try to target that? Like, where would you go? Well, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, a lot of it um, kind of comes through our internal resources, word of mouth. We do have an artist liaison at Squeaky Clean who's been pulling in a lot of people um, and kind of developing this area of our company called Waves, which actually is for independent artists. Um, you can look that up and and <laughs> submit if you'd like to <laughs> um but uh but yeah it's it's a tough call I would say you know just getting your stuff out there you know just yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> getting, <laughs> getting the local things um and um organizations like free the bit and free the work are are really great resources because we do go to those to try and diversify our roster um so last question tell us about your dogs you're all dog owners i need to text to uh my husband to release release murray because he took him away so he wouldn't bark <laughs> peanut oh i just got her uh like three months ago um, she's very sweet. She's so sweet and so chill. How is Peanut so quiet? And there's literally no noise. She made, some, she made a few like little noises. She likes to be held like a baby also. Oh. Yeah. Pretty lucky. Danielle, Danielle, I know fosters dogs and um, is between dogs at the moment. My last dog just got adopted last week. He was the sweetest. His name is Gabriel. But if anyone out there is looking to become a foster, in the New York City area, my favorite organization to work with is Animal Lighthouse. They're really great. Um, and yeah, he was my 14th. Wow. Whoa. Oh, good for you. That's awesome. That's it's amazing. Really hard every time. But <laughs> I 
I couldn't do it. I, I would be too many tears. I, I, would, I would then have 14 dogs. <laughs> kind of like humanitarian dog renting. It is. Yeah, my boyfriend says um, it's like we have a monthly dog subscription. It's amazing. <laughs> this cool. is Murray. Hi, Murray. What, what kind of dog is Murray? He is a pug Yorkie mutt. Um, his beard is kind of crazy right now. Uh, beard, I was going to say. <laughs> he's, he's 10. I can't believe it. Uh, but he has a lot of energy and very loving. Awesome. Well, thank you all for participating in this. This was fantastic and I really enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, thanks again. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Fun. Bye. Bye.